I have such love for this place and these people. I've been blessed here in ways that I can't even begin to tell you. So it is such an honor to be back today. But when Bruce invited me to preach, but said, it's the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we won't be singing Christmas carols until the afternoon. I hesitated. You mean I have to explain that though Christmas carols have been playing in the stores since Halloween, we aren't singing them yet in church on December 24th, right? So here's why. Though we want to hurry up and get to the carols, we love to sing and the beautiful story that we know so well of Jesus' birth with angels and shepherds and wise men and gifts. We must wait. There's preparatory work still to be done. As with childbirth, we must wait for the fullness of time, which begins today at 2 and 4 and 6 and 10.30. So please come back for the full Christmas story and the joyous singing. I promise it will be worth the wait. This morning, there is another story that calls for our gaze and preparation. Our eyes shift to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, also called the mother of God. To tell the story of Mary, I'm going to take us back just a bit so we can appreciate her role more fully and understand why she matters for us. Luke writes the Gospel of Good News to give a coherent and full account of the life of Jesus. There were all these narratives floating around, and he wanted to make sure that the whole story was told. He begins the story of Jesus with Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary's cousin. The angel Gabriel appeared to the priest, Zechariah, and told him his wife was going to have a baby who would be named John, better known as John the Baptist. And this child would lead people to God and prepare the way of the Lord. Zechariah responded, what? I am old and my wife has long been barren. Gabriel was not happy with his doubt and made Zechariah mute until the child would be born. Well, six months later, the same angel showed up at Mary's house in Nazareth. Though she was engaged to Joseph, Gabriel told her that she was chosen to bear the son of the Most High, who would be named Jesus. She responded, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And Gabriel told her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And by the way, your barren cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, Here I am, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. Then Mary quickly traveled to see her cousin to share this amazing good news against all odds 
They were both pregnant. When Mary walked in, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. As soon as I heard the sound of your voice, the child in my womb leaped with joy. You are blessed because you believed the word that had been spoken would be fulfilled in you. You said yes. In response to Elizabeth's excitement and praise, Mary breaks into song. And this is where our gospel picks up today. Mary's song of praise is known as the Magnificat, and it has been sung or read in Catholic and Orthodox churches for 2,000 years. It is still used daily in evening Vesper services in the West and at morning prayer in the East. There are Magnificat symphonies by Bach, Mozart, Mendelssohn, Vivaldi, and Rutter, and countless musical settings for worship. This song has tremendous resonance for many who see it as an expression of Mary's blessedness and a model for deepening our relationship with God. Mary sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is an expression of praise. Can you hear the joy bubbling up? Can you sense it? Think back to a time when you were filled with gratitude, when your eyes welled up with joy and awe, maybe at the wondrous birth of a child, or when you looked into your beloved's eyes and said, I do, or an indescribably beautiful sunset that left you speechless and so very glad to be alive sacredness, moments permeated with a sense of wonder and blessing give us a hint of what Mary is expressing. She's offering praise that radiates through her whole being. She feels this from her head to her toes, gratitude for all that God is doing in her and through her. Praise is the starting place for relationship with God. Not specific words, but the feeling that bubbles up from deep inside. Gratitude. She continues, For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Because of her receptivity and humility, Mary was favored, chosen, to give birth to the Son of God. For this she has been venerated and called blessed for generation to generation. And the blessing plays out in several ways. She's named blessed as the one chosen by God. She is blessed with the gift of the child she bears in her womb, and she blesses us 
from generation to generation with her faith and willingness to give birth to the Son of God who reveals the human face of divine love. Protestants haven't venerated Mary in the way that Orthodox, Anglicans, and Catholics have, and we've lost something because of it. For Mary offers us a maternal face for the divine as the one called Mary, the mother of God, and also a human face as a young woman willing to risk everything to give birth to the Holy Child. Her willingness to bear this child, this gift to the world, makes her a key player in God's work. Incarnation, the fully divine Son of God, born in the flesh, in the fully human form of Jesus. Incarnation. Incarnation takes place through Mary. She knows there's nothing about her to merit such a gift except her willing yes. The Mighty One has done great things for us, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You see, the promise of mercy, grace, is for all of us who fear him. Not fear of punishment, but respect for divine power and holiness. One theologian describes this as the convergence of awe, reverence, honor, worship, confidence, thankfulness, love, and yes, fear. This is awareness that we stand in the presence of the Mighty One. Mary proclaims, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Mary understood that God's power is a reversal of the way the world works. You know what we've been taught. Some people matter more than others. The rich and powerful have control, therefore we should try to be them. Might makes right. It's us versus them, and we are in it to win it. There's not enough to go around, so grab what you can and protect it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Winning is proof that you deserve it. Incarnation reveals the radical decision of God to work from the bottom up. It is God descending to us, lifting us, rather than our ascending to God. It is mercy given rather than merit earned. In God's story, it is the lowly, the hungry, the barren, the virgin, the child that reveal the power of God to bring about a new reality where everyone is included in God's love and shares in God's abundance. God's strength 
is revealed to scatter the proud who think they're better than others and free to do whatever they choose. Bringing down the powerful from their thrones and lifting up the lowly is God's way of working, not because power is bad, but because it is so often used to oppress. In the Magnificat, the most threatening phrase for us in this well-fed country may be, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. I've thought long and hard about what this means for us, the well-fed. I believe this speaks to the necessity of an essential hunger and emptiness. If we're all filled up, there is no room for God. And it isn't just food. It's the stuff we accrue, the ways we distract ourselves, the ways we seek to satisfy our insatiable desire for more, always more. Our culture is meant to create desire and then quickly deliver food, entertainment, goods, news, even social connection, all available at the touch of a button. But because none of it has the capacity, the capacity to satisfy our need, we seek more, always more. We abhor emptiness. We're terrified of silence. But in any meaningful relationship, you have to make room for the other. There has to be space and quiet to hear. Hunger and emptiness create space for God. Longing for something real and true makes room for the Spirit to enter and fill us with God's presence and love. See, incarnation is God's movement toward us. God's desire to be in relationship with us. It is an amazing claim that the mighty one, the creator, wants to dwell in us. If it is true, how can we help but be filled with wonder and gratitude and praise? Sometime in the busyness of this season, I hope we, you will make some space for quiet, maybe gazing at the night sky, walking in the woods, or sitting in silence. Let yourself feel your emptiness. Let yourself know your need. Listen for what it is you are truly longing for. And then what's under that? And where is God in that? And how does the Spirit want to fill you? And what would happen if you said yes? 
For Mary proclaims, it has always been God's desire to be with us. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The coming of this child, the son of the Most High, the Savior, the King of kings, whose kingdom will never end, it is the fulfillment of promise made to Abraham way back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. There, too, God chose a barren woman, Sarah, and Abraham, an old man of 99, to create descendants and found a people. You see, God always chooses the willing over the able to reveal God's power and mercy. And in a wonderful symmetry, we see the same God working through another old woman and a virgin to fulfill the promise to Abraham and his descendants. And that means us. We are the descendants. The promise is for us. And the promise is to be with us and bless us, that we might be a blessing for the world. Incarnation is God becoming one of us, that we might be one with God. The Magnificat is a model for our willingness to say yes to God's spirit and let it bless the world through us. The power present in Mary is also present in us. Otherwise, all this preparation and waiting and decoration, it's all just part of nostalgia for simpler times. And God knows these are not simple times. It's been a particularly hard year with hurricanes and fires and earthquakes and floods and terrorist attacks and mass killings and political chaos. Sixty million people are displaced. There's war and famine. And every day we check the news with dread for what has happened next. Some of the overwhelming stress we face is because we know that Everything bad happening in the world is served up to us on a 24-hour news cycle. But it's more than that. We are a fractured people. And even the essence of what is true, what can be trusted, is debated. There's a deep sense that we're coming apart at the seams. And each one of you here has struggles that those around you may never know. Some of you have trouble sleeping nights because of your worries. Some live with physical or emotional pain. Some are in grief and despair. We are desperate for a savior, for a sense of hope. And this is exactly where God is found in the midst of our suffering, pain, and need. This is what incarnation means. It is God choosing to be with us in all our human circumstances to bring healing, peace, and love. There is 
nothing and no one outside of God's care. What we see as intractable problems are not impossible for God. God always works the impossible. God only needs a yes from us to bless us in ways we cannot even conceive. It doesn't mean that we're saved from pain. Suffering and loss are part of our humanity. Mary will face the loss of the very child she will bear tonight. That is why so many people pray to her for intercession in times of need. Her heart encompasses our pain. But she also trusts and knows the joyous promise of God's mighty power to bring forth new life, to lift up the lowly and fill the hungry with good things. I have to tell you, I really struggled with writing this sermon because this year my work has involved being with 25 families at the time of the death of a loved one. Some of these have been unexpected deaths at the end of a long life, well-lived, where there's been much grief but also celebration. But others have been unexpected, tragic, devastating losses. And I wondered, what would I say to these families? What difference does incarnation make for them and me as we grieve together? In the midst of intense grief, after the wailing and the keening pain, there have been moments when everything extraneous falls away. And all that's left is the love and a palpable sense of God's presence. Suddenly, in the midst of pain, God is with us and the burden is lifted just enough so that you know you're not alone. You can feel the assurance that no matter what, you matter to God and you are loved. And the one who was ripped from you, they matter too. They matter to God. And the tears you cry are a reflection of deep abiding love. And it gives a glimpse into the heart of God's love for us. That capacity for love is what binds us to each other and to God. It's the only thing that makes pain bearable and more than bearable, hope-filled. This is incarnation. This is God with us. When Mary gazes upon her child, God's own son, she will look into the face of divine love. It is love that we await. It is love that we hunger for. And eternal love wants to come and dwell in each one of us. And that makes all the difference. All of that love and hope and promise is wrapped up in the babe that we await. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices 
in God my Savior. We are blessed. We are blessed. May we be a blessing of love for the world that God loves.